Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Morning, everybody. Happy hump day. And welcome to the News Agenda with me, Fleet Street Fox. And today I'm joined by The Mirror's political editor, John Stevens. So what have we got today? Well, the mirror has splashed on the awful death of five-year-old Stella Lily McCorkendale from Strep A, which is a story I can hardly bear to read, much less discuss with you, I'm afraid. Um, the symptoms to look out for are widely available, so please gin up on those. And remember, it's probably just a cold, but get anything checked out if you're worried. The doctors will absolutely not mind. I think John is logging off and logging on again. So in the meantime, we'll talk amongst ourselves. Uh, inside the paper... While the NHS is dealing with this incredibly hard to spot infection and is daily struggling with the problems created by 12 years of Tory tinkering and farting about with the system, ambulance staff have voted to go out on strike uh, in nine out of 10 ambulance trusts in England and Wales. Only the east of England has been spared. So if you're in Norfolk or Suffolk, you're probably going to be OK. The rest of us stuffed. It will happen on December the 21st, just a few days after the nurses' two-day strike, and it's going to cause a whole heap of problems for a lot of people, including, of course, the ambulance staff, who will miss a day's pay in the run-up to Christmas when they haven't had a decent rise in years and inflation is 11%. But also, let's not forget, and most importantly, lots of people are going to call an ambulance and are going to find that one doesn't turn up. And some might say, that's happening already, isn't it? Now, uh, this morning, the health secretary, Steve Barclay, was on the radio saying that he was happy to talk to the unions about their conditions, but not their pay. He's been sticking to the 4% pay offer, which has already been rejected. So why he's sticking to it is beyond me. Uh, and he's barely even met the union leaders to discuss any of this. It was so that he hadn't met them at all. I think this morning he said he met them once briefly, about three seconds in a corridor. So we have to ask ourselves, you know, how sustainable all that is, considering the absolute horror show of news stories that the NHS is about to provide over uh, a very difficult December and winter, which we're, we're going to be getting to. Now, I should say there's one point on that page. There is a paramedic in the West Midlands who says that they've had to open a food bank in their ambulance station, which is something that should absolutely not be happening, should it? Mike says, good morning, Mike. Chief executives are getting 30% plus pay rises and performance bonuses despite failure. They're saying that they deserve it. Uh, bankers' bonuses rising from two times their salary to effectively infinity, saying, well, you know, they deserve it. But NHS staff who actually save lives, not wanting to need food banks to live, are being called greedy. And that's Tory Britain for you. Um, you think you've got a point there, Mike. Now, John's back. Finally, we've talked long enough. Can you hear us, John? I can, yeah, I can hear you fine now. Sorry. Hey, I've, I've been blurbling for a while, but thank you. <laughs> um, 
so basically what we've got is I sort of explained our ambulance strike story and that Steve Barclay's not been meeting them and is, is going to just stick to this 4% offer. So how sustainable is that, John, considering, you know, what's, what's going to be coming up at him when these strikes go ahead? I think that when these strikes first started, the rail unions were the first ones to start talking about striking. The government always seemed to be enjoying it. They were ratcheting up these uh, difficulties. I think they thought that this was a way to kind of beat Keir Starmer, say you're on the side of the unions, we're on the side of everyone else. And I think that argument has been much harder to make once these strikes have spread to all sorts of sectors. And you look at the opinion polling, we did one in the mirror last week, Redfield and Wilton, a pollster, did it for us. And that showed that over 50% of people supported the nurses going out on strike compared to about 20% who didn't. So that's a ratio of more than two to one. So there's significant public support for the nurses. There's also significant public support for the rail workers. Actually, it was a similar ratio, about two to mm. one people saying they supported them compared to saying they were against. So I think that, you know... Just looking on a numbers basis, now there are so many people being balloted on strike action across so many different sectors of the economy that it's hard to just paint it as one small group who are unhappy. There are just millions of voters across the country who are having these problems with pay, who are now being balloted on going on strikes. And so, yeah, it's very difficult for the government to say, oh, these are bad people going on strikes when it is affecting yeah. so many people. And it's difficult, I'd have thought, for, to be able to keep sticking to this position that they really, there isn't any money left. I mean, that was a, there is no money left was a joke from an outgoing minister in 2010. And it's now the official line to take from a government that's had billions to spend on things when they fancied it. Now, um, keep asking your questions, everybody. What do you think about the strikes? Do you support the ambulance workers going out? Do you think that it's a step too far and that they should be on call? Um, are you happy that the, you know, the, the army might be called in to drive some ambulances? And obviously, if you've got a, had a heart attack or a stroke, hopefully you'll be considered a priority, but you're already waiting more than an hour for an ambulance to come in most parts of the country if you've got a serious problem like that. So, I mean, how much worse can it possibly get? One well, has to ask oneself. Now, Jason, uh, John, sorry, I did hear that when Jeremy Hunt took over as treasurer uh, at the Treasury, a long chancellor at the Treasury a long time, a few months ago, uh, Steve Barclay went in to see him to talk about the health service. And the briefing that came out was that Hunt was very surprised to hear Barclay said he didn't need any more money and he would just make a load of cuts to pay for things. Is that true? That is something that got claimed at the time. I know that people around Steve Barkley got very cross when that story came out and said that it barely portrayed the conversation that had happened. But you look at what Steve Barkley's done over the last couple of weeks. It's been very easy for the Labour Party to paint him as unreasonable by saying you're not even willing to talk about pay, that you're not willing to sit around a table with the nurses and talk about what would be a fair deal to kind of get this sorted. And we know that strikes can be really hard for the Labour Party. They can sometimes get in some quite contorted positions, not quite show what's the, the right thing to say. They don't want to look like they're too heavily backing the strikes, but they also don't want to look like they're against the workers going out on strike. But it's been quite an easy line for them to put out that this government isn't being reasonable, that the thing they need to do to get this sorted is sit round the table with the unions and make sure that people can kind of get on with their work. And them saying they're not willing to do that 
is um, something the Labour Party can argue against, especially when the consequence of that is we know that a lot of patients are going to have their operations delayed. You know, people won't be able to get the same access to the NHS that they would have done. And if they can say that this is the government to blame for that, then I think that's really tricky for ministers. Yeah, well, on the plus side, I suppose, the uh, queues at the ambulance A&E might well get a bit shorter if there's no ambulances knocking around, but that's hardly something to be crow about. Mike says, Sunak's line about Starmer being in the pocket of union barons is already looking stale, but no doubt he'll use it again at PMQs later today. Um, I'm not entirely sure that, the like Mike says, that the, the narrative about union barons and so on holds up when we're talking about nurses and paramedics and female union leaders as well. I don't think it it chimes in quite the way Rishi perhaps would like it to. Um, and interestingly, I mean, Barclay, when he was on the radio this morning, was talking about firstly blaming the problems in the NHS on the pandemic, even though uh, then and then immediately going on to say they were long term and came along before the pandemic. So he's sort of saying both things and trying to say this is nothing to do with the Tories running the whole situation. And they seem to be banking rather on the fact, John, that the, the public, which is broadly supportive, like you said at the moment, that they will turn against the strikes once they kick in and when reality bites, I suppose. But I, I can't help thinking that if you've got that level of public support now, we all know that it's the government refusing to meet them um, and to refusing to bargain with them, refusing to talk about pay, then actually when those strikes do kick in and you call an ambulance that doesn't arrive, people are going to blame the government, aren't they? Not the, not the strikers. Yeah, and also as these strikes go on, you're going to hear more and more stories from individual workers about the situation they're facing. I'm in the mirror today and that story about ambulance strikes. There's quotes from a paramedic said that people at their ambulance station were struggling so much they had to set up their own food bank to cope. And I think a lot of people will be really sympathetic when they hear these stories that these people doing jobs in the public service, they are serving the public, people doing things like being nurses, teachers, firefighters, ambulance drivers. A lot of them have chosen to do their jobs, not necessarily for the money, but they do also need to be paid for them. And I think once you start hearing those stories in public about how those people are really struggling, then I think... You know, it's hard for the government to be able to paint these people, these strikers, as kind of shirkers who aren't willing to do their jobs when it's quite the opposite. Yeah. Now, what do you think, everybody, about um, the strikers and the government line? Do you think it's sustainable? Do you think that the government can, needs to hold out on this and just play hardball and that it will go their way? Or do you think they're going to have to crumble eventually, probably sooner rather than later, and start turning on the money taps? Get into the comments, let us know. Um, it, it does seem a bit, John, that, they they really they really don't understand quite how this is going to work because when when an ambulance doesn't turn up for somebody and they die and it becomes a news story the journalist on that story is going to go to the unions for a comment and they'll say well that's terrible but we would love to have been there but we probably wouldn't have been there before the strikes because the situation was so bad anyway and when you, you're also going to go to the government and you're going to say to the government why aren't you paying them more why aren't you ending the strike so Every time the strikes happen and every time there is a news story showing how bad the impact of the strike is, the government is going to be asked to provide an explanation and they're not going to have that explanation. And they're going to be asked to do that far more often than the unions are, than the paramedics are, and their, their explanations are going to be harder to deal with. So when these strikes kick in, it's going to be strikers versus government in the media 
not strikers versus the people, which is what they seem to think it's going to be. Am I right? Yeah, but we also need to be honest about the state of the ambulance service on a normal average day that oh. isn't like say at the moment you know we're talking about there's stories on the front pages of other newspapers today about if you have a fall you might not be able to get an ambulance well forgetting strike days that's the situation at the moment you look at the response times the amount of time the ambulance is meant to take to get to people when they're having an emergency and they're just not meeting them at all the target time if you have something like a stroke or a heart attack I'm trying to remember off the top of my head I think it's about 18 minutes it is 18 minutes the average time in Cornwall over the last couple of months, the latest figures showed was, and this is the average time, this isn't the worst case scenario, this is the average time of people having a stroke or a heart attack, was more than one hour 30. And so I think you know, the government needs to explain why that is the case. And many people are quite reasonable. They know that the pandemic has happened. They're very unhappy that the government hasn't managed to bring down waiting lists, but they do have some understanding that the pandemic made it a lot worse. However, the one thing they do expect from the health service is if you're having a stroke or a heart attack, you should be able to ring 999 and an ambulance turn up in minutes. People just expect that as a given. That is such a basic thing for the government to deliver and that they're not doing that on days that aren't strike days, I think is a total scandal. Exactly. And I think people are going to, it's it's recent enough, people are going to remember that's the current situation. And it's not something that's caused by the strike action per se. I mean, it was a couple of years ago now, um, my dad fell over here and we're in Kent. Okay, it's not incredibly rural like Cornwall. It's not too bad. Uh, he fell over and he dislocated his elbow. And he was in a lot of pain, a lot of pain. But he wasn't bleeding. He wasn't an emergency. Um, uh, he was in some shock. His heart rate was very high and he's an older gentleman. So I was very worried about him. And I was on the phone to the ambulance service, I think about three or four times over the course of about an hour, hour and a half before the ambulance actually got here um, because he wasn't their emergency. But just that non-life-threatening problem could have caused him an issue with a heart attack, with um, stress, with... Uh, just being out in the cold, lying on the concrete outside where it happened for hours. Um, that it, it's just not sustainable, is it? The way it's been, the way it's been going. So I, I have some, just personally, I've got a lot of sympathy with people who want to go out and strike to to point out to the government that they've got to find a way to fix this. Yeah, exactly. And this is what the ambulance workers are saying is they don't just want pay for themselves. They're saying that the whole service needs to be better funded to sort these problems out. But what would Labour do? Um, because they've said that they would do a deal, they'd get around the table, but they haven't said for how much, they haven't said what they would pay, they haven't said where that money would come from. They're doing what they have done for a long time, which is just, you know, not reveal any policies particularly, because it might end up a bit expensive when they get into government. And they will secretly, I'd have thought, John, be sort of quite happy that it's Rishi Sunak who's got to square this particular circle, won't they? Maybe, although I think that we've seen with the rail strikes at the start kind of going ratcheting up that really didn't seem to do anything to come closer to solving this we've seen a bit of a change of tact over the last couple of weeks mark harper the transport secretary having the rail unions into his office to try and broker some sort of deal i think the Labour party genuinely do think if it was them in power they wouldn't be trying to pick a fight they would be trying to work a way through this although as you say they haven't put exact figures on how much they would be willing to pay we know that the RCN, the nurses, are asking 
for 5% above inflation. I think RPI is running about 14% at the moment. So ministers keep saying that would be a 19% pay rise, which they say is unaffordable. And the Labour Party, I don't think, would be willing to go as far as 19%, but I'm sure they would be able to find some sort of compromise where they meet them halfway or somewhere around that point. Mm, that is a point of negotiation, of course, isn't it? That someone asks for X and someone else offers Y, and then you meet somewhere between the two. You don't, you know, you don't say, "Well, I can't offer it, I can't pay X, therefore we're never going to talk to you." That's whoever has that negotiation. You don't have that negotiation with a five-year-old. For goodness' sake, I don't know why we have to have it with the government. Um, but get into the comments. Ask us your questions. How do you feel about the strike? How do you feel it's going to affect you? Have you had problems with the ambulance service up to now? And where do your sympathies lie? Let us know. Uh, but first, we need to move on to another story that's in the papers today, and uh, some more Tory troubles. Hooray! No, sad. Uh, and the row which is brewing about conservative—not brewing—it's exploding about conservative peer uh, Marinus. Michelle Moan, also known as Baroness Bra, because she founded the Ultimo lingerie range, and you can use lots of pictures of her in her knickers, like we have here. Uh, that rambles on as she takes a leave of absence from the House of Lords following allegations that she bullied more than one government minister over awarding PPE contracts to companies that she had some sort of an interest in. Now, she denies that she benefited, but there's a national crime agency inquiry, so we can't go into a lot of detail about that. It's all under investigation. But John, Rishi Sunak is uh, in trouble here for not having withdrawn the Tory whip while she's um, being looked into. Now, can you think of any other Tories who've been under police investigation for serious crimes who've had the whip withdrawn? who've not had the withdrawal. Well, there's other uh, Tories. I mean, there's MPs at the moment, Tory MPs who are being investigated for sexual assault who've still got the Tory whip, but the Tories are saying that they won't lose the whip until they're charged. But I think this one for Rishi Sunak is tricky. Michelle Moan yesterday announced that she was going to take a leave of absence for the House of Lords. I'm not sure the Lords will noticed too much difference. We looked and the last time that she'd spoken in the House of Lords was March 2020. So right at the beginning of the pandemic, I think the last time she voted was in April this year. But Labour Party yesterday, Angela Rayner, the deputy leader, was saying that it shouldn't have been left to uh, Michelle Moan to see the writing was on the wall and decide that she was going to take the decision to take a leave of absence. So Rishi Sunak should have been much firmer and should have withdrawn whip immediately and I think it's probably quite likely that that would be one of the things that comes up at PMQs at midday today is questions about that and Labour have been pushing this line over the last few weeks that Rishi Sunak's weak on a whole number of issues and they're pushing again that he's weak in relation to Michelle Moan. I think you're probably quite likely to hear something along those lines in the House of Commons later. Yeah uh, the government I lead will be uh, have professionalism, accountability and integrity at every level. Mm, that didn't last that long, did it? It didn't uh, last five seconds, did it, Richard? <laughs> um, but, you know, well done for saying it anyway. Uh, but we have to wait and see, I suppose, what happens with that. Now, of course, part of the reason that they don't withdraw the whip of someone if they're accused of something like a sex crime is because to do that, you know, they, it becomes obvious who it is who's under investigation. Uh, and they they don't want to do that, and there's legal problems with that. So I can kind of understand it when it's a sex crime, because um, anonymity of some of the people concerned can be beneficial sometimes. But 
Michelle Moan's situation has been very well known. If he withdrew the whip from her, it's not going to make the Tories look bad. It's not going to expose her in any way to anything worse than she's already having to face. Uh, and it's not going to increase the chances of, you know, anything else uh, being known about in such a way. It's just going to make Rishi look good if he does withdraw the whip from her. So, I mean, I just don't get why they why they didn't do it. It's such a, it's such a non-starter. They should have just said, that's it. Love, you're on your own for a bit while you sort this out. Yeah, especially because Tory government has been involved in this, that there obviously is claims that Tory ministers were involved in companies that she was allegedly linked to getting contracts. Do you think they would want to distance themselves from this row as much as possible? Yeah, and uh, they don't seem able to do it. So under Boris, of course, they'd sort of they thought it was disloyal to do this sort of thing. Under Rishi, you'd have thought they'd be a bit more professionalised, but uh, it doesn't seem to be for some reason. Now, John says Sunak is too worried about upsetting Johnson's friends. I don't know if she's a friend of Johnson. I can't remember who she was ennobled under. Was it Johnson or Theresa May? It was actually David Cameron back oh. in 2015. So. Yeah, there were a few toys yesterday questioning that decision, thinking why on earth was she ever made appear in the first place? There were questions about how successful her business actually was way back then. I think it was making a loss back in 2015. So it seemed a bit of a strange decision for her to be made appear. But yeah, it's clearly backfired. Yeah, and not really a, not really someone who graces the second house with their expertise or much of their presence, but does vote fairly consistently with the Tory whip. Why would they want that? Uh, and also uses some of her Tory contacts to email ministers. Uh, I couldn't email Matt Hancock if I wanted to, and I don't. Right. Uh, thank you for that, John. Um, if you have any opinions about Baroness Bra and whether Rishi Sunak should or shouldn't have withdrawn the whip from her, do let us know. How do you feel about the ambulance strikes? Get into the comments and we'll do our best to answer your questions. Hopefully, uh, um, you're not. no one who's watching this is going to have too many problems in the strikes that are coming up. Uh, I hope we're all going to get through it and come out the other side. But... Uh, we have got some good news for you. We found some, uh, and here it is. Now, here is a picture of a spectacularly ugly dog <laughs> who unwittingly helped to collar a £45 million ecstasy smuggling operation by helping police to crack an encrypted messaging network. Yes, that actually really happened. Um, now, the bungling smugglers thought their chat about a deal to send 70 stone of MDMA to Australia was secret, but they took selfies. They shared pictures of Bob, including his collar, which had one of their girlfriend's name and phone number on it. And they even took pictures of what they were watching on telly, which had their own reflections in it. Uh, and it all meant that police were able to prove who was behind the anonymous online chat. And yesterday, thanks in part to Bob, six men were jailed for a total of 140 years. Six absolute geniuses, I think we need to agree. John, is this proof that drugs make you stupid or is it proof that if you're really stupid, you'll get into drug dealing? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about either of those, but I mean, this story is absolutely incredible. When you go through all of the details, I mean, there's so much drugs. I think it was 70 stone of MDMA that they hid in some sort of digger that they bought. It's like a rugby then, team's worth, isn't it? <laughs> that they shipped to Australia. And then when it came through, obviously, the crime agency that passed on the information to their colleagues in Australia. And it went up as an auction at an auction house. And the drug dealers were going to buy it back and get the um, drugs out of the um 
I think it's part of the excavator arm that they hid in the min, but there were other people bidding for it. They, it kind of, I mean, it's a cliche to say that things sound like a film script, but it definitely does in this case. Yeah. I, I want to see the Chris Morris film that would come out of this. People <laughs> trying to stuff MDMA in the arm of a crane and then put it on eBay and worry that other people were suddenly watching it and it wasn't going to go to the actual customers. And, <laughs> and then they all got busted by their own dog, uh, who is very, very ugly. I'm sure he's a charmer. <laughs> um, thank you for that, John. Uh, have we got any questions to wrap with? Can we ask the backstage gremlins if there's, uh, if there's anyone knocking around? I don't think there are. Um, but if you want to come back later on uh, at 12 o'clock on the Mirrors Facebook channels, there will be uh, PMQs carried live where you can see whether or not Labour does indeed uh, make out that Rishi Sunak is weak and whether or not there are questions about why on earth they will not get round the table and talk to ambulance strikers, uh, nurses, doctors, uh, and goodness knows who else, uh, the, the transport unions, the teaching unions, uh, the everybody who's going out on strike over the next few weeks and months um, and why they're not doing more about it. That will be on here at 12 o'clock. Uh, and in the meantime, we will see, oh, hang on, the one from Mike. Does taking leave of absence from the Lords make it easier to skip the country in a hurry if necessary? Mike, that's a dreadful thing to suggest. <laughs> and it makes no difference at all because I think people in the House of Lords generally uh, are quite often absent from the country, aren't they, John? Yeah, I don't think that makes any difference at all. I no, I mean, you'd be in the House of Commons, for example, and spend three weeks in Australia and no one seems to mind too much. So uh, it makes very little difference. But thank you for asking. Uh, right. We'll see you all again next Monday, everybody, for another edition of the News Agenda. Tatty bye, everybody. <laughs>